federal agencies and contractors are officially barred from asking about a job applicant's criminal history, at least until after they make a conditional job offer. New final regulations from the Office of Personnel Management aim to make it easier for formerly incarcerated individuals to get government jobs. It all comes from a bill passed in 2019, the Fair Chance Act. Here with details, Federal News Network's Drew Friedman. And Drew, we know what the law requires, so what is the end goal of these final OPM regulations? The end goal is to expand opportunities for incarcerated or formerly incarcerated individuals who are applying for federal jobs advocates of the Fair Chance Act, where these regulations came from, and other ban-the-box type opportunities say that asking about criminal history during the hiring process actually discriminates against candidates who would otherwise be qualified for a position. So these applicants, if they choose to, they could offer or share that information with a hiring manager, but hiring managers or other people who are interviewing these candidates won't be able to ask about criminal history before making a conditional job offer. All right. And agencies in some cases have this practice in place. You know, the uh, don't ask box or whatever they call it or chuck the box has been going on now for a few years. So what are some of the changes now that OPM is promulgating? Right. So we had the ban the box policy from 2016 from OPM. But more recently, we've seen some changes from for example, from the 2021 executive order on diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility from President Biden, that initially gave OPM these new authorities to kind of expand federal hiring opportunities for formerly incarcerated people. With these new final regulations, we're seeing now a new mechanism for applicants to report violations of the Fair Chance Act. So if they're in the hiring process, they are being interviewed and they get asked something before getting a job offer, they can now report that to OPM, and OPM would have to determine whether or not it is actually a violation. Depending on the severity of the violation, you're also going to see some adverse actions there to federal employees who are involved in the hiring process. So that can be anything from just a written warning to a suspension to even civil penalties in some more severe cases. And OPM detailed how to appeal those allegations of a violation as well. But generally, yes, you have seen agencies already working on this. So, for example, the Justice Department and the Education Department have both onboarded formerly incarcerated employees as part of a Second Chance Fellows program. Each agency has their own. And that's just another way that agencies are trying to bring in more formerly incarcerated individuals into the federal government and generally expand those opportunities as well. Are there any exceptions to these regulations? For example, could a former axe killer become a TSA officer? Or could a former multi-million dollar embezzler work in the CFO office of an agency? Great question. Yes, there are exceptions to these final regulations. For example, if there's a position that involves interactions with minors, access to sensitive information, managing financial transactions, things of that nature, then in those cases for those positions, agencies could ask about criminal history just because that would be part of, you know, for example, a background checked later down the road. Also, if, you know, the applicant would have as part of the job access to classified information or national security related duties, then those instances, you would be able to ask about criminal history because, of course, that 
that does directly uh, correlate there. And we should point out that this means you don't have to hire someone. You could make a conditional offer, but after the conditional offer, you could check criminal background, right? Still. Right. You can. And that's interestingly, that's something that OPM doesn't right now have a lot of data on the impact of if you have someone in the, in the application process who's later asked about criminal history, they don't have a lot of numbers on whether that person then had the offer rescinded if they were a formerly incarcerated individual or ended up getting that job. So that was something that OPM detailed as well in the final regulations here that they're going to start looking at more data on, okay, what, how many applicants do are formerly incarcerated individuals, you know, how many of them actually do get job offers and actually take or start those jobs rather than the agency then going back and saying, okay, you know, now that we asked, we're actually going to pull back on on our offer here. Right. So the agency still has final discretion. I guess really the purpose of this, fair to say, would be to not discriminate against someone because of having been incarcerated, but then the nature of the incarceration and the nature of the job might still mitigate letting that person in. Exactly. So, you know, there is going to be, I think, some questions down the road once you get past that conditional offer of whether or not the applicant would actually make sense for that position. But generally, at least in the in the majority of the hiring process in the earlier stages, they're saying this is a better way to you know, ensure that you're not discriminating against people just because they were formerly in prison. A lot of people, it does happen to a lot of people and they are denied jobs because of those criminal records. So this is a way that the government, similar to actually 28 states have similar laws already in place that now the government is trying to kind of expand that as well, expand those opportunities as well. And OPM will be collecting data I imagine, right? Right. There is a bit limited data here on how that actually looks. But in the proposed regulations from OPM last year, they were asking stakeholders for, you know, what is the data collection that we should be looking at here? So they're going to start collecting more data on, for example, how many applicants receive conditional offers, how many of those applicants have conviction records, and then whether or not that job offer was rescinded later down the road. Also, the types of convictions where the offers were rescinded, and then, of course, demographic information for all of those candidates kind of across the board there. So OPM now is looking at developing a data collection strategy and plan for these regulations moving forward. And right. So the implementation then will consist of what from OPM's standpoint? It sounds like something agencies have to do. OPM also detailed, you know, the breakdown of, you know, what are agency, individual agencies' responsibilities here and OPM's responsibilities, especially for reporting violations and handling appeals. So, for instance, agencies will have to intake those allegations from candidates, but then OPM would have to actually adjudicate each claim. And also going forward, OPM is going to work with the chief diversity officers, executive council, as well as the Chief Human Capital Officers or Chico Council to work with agencies on their specific plans here, um, and then also developing metrics to try to increase federal employment opportunities for these workers or potential applicants who do have criminal records but want to work for the federal government. Federal News Network's Drew Friedman, thanks so much. Thanks, Tom. And be sure to check out her complete story at federalnewsnetwork.com. 
Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Everett Kelly, National President of the American Federation of Government Employees, joined Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to share how his upbringing in rural Alabama eventually propelled him to the forefront of thousands of union members raising a collective voice. After years of leadership with both the largest federal employee union and as a pastor, Everett Kelly reflects on his deep-rooted values of integrity and hard work. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today I'm joined by Mr. Everett Kelly, National President of the American Federation of Government Employees. Everett, welcome, and thank you for being here. Shane, thank you. It's a pleasure. It's mine. You first joined AFGE in 1981 during what eventually became your 30 years of service at Anniston Army Depot. We're now more than 40 years past 1981, and you've been the union's national president since 2020. How's your decades-long involvement with AFGE impacted the way you view your role now as the union's leader? The time that I spent as local president, I simultaneously spent that same time as a pastor in Alabama. I like to say that this was my training ground because as I was entering into the role of unionism, I was also entering into ministry. And so I see my role even as the union leader as ministry. It's never an understatement because this is what I believe. I believe that if you love people and show people that you love them, people will follow you. My business is in the business of growing people, uh, and that's what I do. And I I think that my training as a pastor and as a union uh, leader has given me the ability to really, you know, uh, grow people because I feel like that, you know, it's my responsibility both as a union leader and as a pastor to ensure that people have a livable wage, It's also uh, my responsibility to ensure that people are treated fair with dignity and respect on the job. And I think that goes in both uh, arenas. So so I've seen this, you know, as ministry, as I've grown through the four decades of leading people. Putting those two together is amazing. AFGE handles a massive array of issues and topics of importance to feds across many departments and agencies. What is it like being at the forefront of all those moving parts, and how do you manage it all? Well, first of all, let me give kudos to my staff, okay? Uh, Because it's just no way that I could manage all of this work and all the moving parts by myself. But I have an excellent staff that always makes sure that I'm prepared and that I'm ready. But it's exciting. It's exciting to be out in the forefront, you know, uh, bringing people to the realization that they have something to fight for. But again, I cannot, and please understand when I say I cannot, it's it's what I truly believe. I cannot do it without a good, strong staff. Um, And I tell anybody that, but I enjoy fighting for the cause. I enjoy standing in front of a group of AFG members, calling them to action, and then standing back and watching that action come to fruition. Because I know that I'm not the one that's doing it, okay? They are the one that's doing it. I'm merely casting a vision, right? And I enjoy casting a vision and then watching a vision come to fruition. And it's the staff and the members that get that done. 
As CEO at, at WEPA, I completely and totally understand that. We rely on them. It's not Absolutely. just nice to have. We rely on Absolutely. them. Absolutely. As AFGE president, you often speak at union rallies and other events widely attended by federal employees. What's it like to experience that direct connection to employees? And how does that influence your leadership style? You know, that gets me excited, okay? To be standing in front of a group of AFGE leaders get me excited. To hear the words, who are we? And the chants that come back that says AFGE gets me excited. It gets my motor uh, running, if you will. And it's exciting to look at them and see the motivation in their faces when they're fighting for a cause. And, and, and all of us come together and fight uh, in solidarity, fight as one, raise one voice. You can't explain the feeling. You just know that it's right. You know, I just know that it's right. When I'm standing there and I feel this, and I never fail to say thank you again because I'm the one that merely cast a vision. They are the ones that get the work done. And so when I see them out there ready to go and that call to action goes out, and then I see them really begin to march on that uh, initiative, it's an energy that I cannot explain. I can explain it. I'm feeling it right now. <laughs> um, the, Describe how your personal background and upbringing folds into how you function as a leader. You know, understanding that I was born in the Deep South. I was born in a little small town in Goodwater, Alabama, population 1,292 today. Born to parents that, and I hope I don't offend anybody, and I've got to quit saying this, but, but I was born to a set of parents that believed and trusted in God. And that began to establish who I was. I began to trust God myself in everything that I do. I, I trust God even in this situation as a union leader because my parents taught me to believe in uh, the Bible. And with that came do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. In other words, treat people right. Treat people with respect, right? Do what's right. It taught me, you know, about integrity, right? It taught me about being honest, you know, and that's what's needed in the role of a leader of this union. It's it's needed. uh, And, you know, I try to portray that. I try to portray a person of honesty and a person of integrity. And so being in the deep South, you know, you you, you just learn those things. And that's what has helped me uh, throughout my path as a union leader. And it's always nice that whole approach because you don't have multiple approaches with different people or different sets of different tasks, different energy. It's, it's always straightforward, yes. honest, here's the truth. Yes. And it, it's, it's easy. Yes. Right? Yes. It's a lot easier than having multiple personas. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What's one piece of advice, if you could go back and tell yourself when you were starting your career? You know, I don't know you're asking for one, but I'm, I'm going to have to elaborate on two. Yeah. If that's yeah. okay. Number one, I would explain the urgency of integrity a lot sooner than what I did, right? Because to me, integrity is not necessarily what you see others do or what others see you do. But integrity to me is what you do even when no one is looking. And so I I would really begin to stress that importance more so at an earlier state in my leadership role rather than the latter part, 
Okay, I, I begin to stress that more now, but I wish I had began to do that more at the earlier states in my uh, role. Secondly, I would tell myself to always, and I'm going back to my roots, always work hard and don't ever accept no as an answer, right? Because I just believe that if you want it bad enough, if you want to achieve it, you can. It's all about the amount of work you put into it, right? And the and the amount of faith you have that it can be accomplished. So when I look at AFGE and its membership and where we were four or five years ago and where we are today, that's a reminder that you can do whatever you want to do if you put your mind to it and work hard enough. And one question that's always kind of interesting at, at the end of our time together is, is there one person, you mentioned your parents before, mm-hmm. um, is there one person or maybe more than one who really inspired you when you were younger that you might even think back on today? It was my grandmother, you know, with the understanding that when and when I was born, right, as I said, I was born in the Deep South. My father worked extremely hard. We didn't have a whole lot. You know, my, I had 12 siblings. And so when I was born, I was very sick. A matter of fact, the doctor said I wouldn't live to be 16 years old. The doctor said I wouldn't ever hold a job. But my grandmother would always teach me how to pray. And she taught me about faith. And it is prayer and faith that has allowed me to be standing here today. Suppose I've been dead 50 years ago, but I'm 66 years old now. And it's all because of my faith and my belief and my prayer life. And I believe that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Amazing story. Thank you for sharing all of it with us, Everett. And really appreciate you being on the show today. Pleasure is mine. And this is Shane Canfield. We'll see you next time on Lessons in Leadership. Find the full podcast and future episodes of Lessons in Leadership on the Federal News Network app and anywhere you enjoy your podcasts.